Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk crossovers. Let's talk dimes. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk rumors. Let's talk opinions. Let's talk truth. Let's talk future. Let's talk present. Let's talk past. Fundamentals and flash. Me running the flow. Stango running the show like a young Steve Nash. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Great Point Podcast. This is the Great Point Podcast. I'm Adam Stanko. Well, the field is set and the brackets are available, whether that's a paper bracket or online. Regardless, I know everyone right now is scrambling to figure out how good is Middle Tennessee State or what's going to happen in that Providence USC first four game. Well, I've got someone who can help me figure this whole thing out. Matt Muehlbach, all-time wins leader at the University of Arizona, plus an all-around great guy and a friend of mine. He is back on the podcast. You should go back and listen to Matt's original podcast in which he told his his life story. It's completely fascinating, and he's got some great Lute Olson, Steve Kerr, Gary Payton stories. But for right now, Matt is joining me to break down this bracket. Matt, welcome back to the Great Point Podcast. Well, thank you, Adam. Very uh, fired up to get my, my second appearance. <laughs> you sound fired up to, to do this. <laughs> uh, Matt, let's uh, let's start right away with, I think, the biggest news of the tournament, even though it, it may not be sold that way, and that is still the injury to Chris Boucher, Oregon's uh, star big man. I, I've said he sort of reminds me of like a, a shorter minute bowl because he'll step outside, shoot threes, he's long, skinny, and he blocks a ton of shots. Um, that's probably not given Boucher's overall game enough credit, but just in general, I guess my first question for you is how much does the loss of Boucher impact this, this Oregon team, both off the court and on? Well, I mean, it's, it's huge. I mean, you can't, you you know, he's the, I, we were talking in the touchdown room in the studio the other day. I think he's the, maybe the most unique player in all of college basketball because what he can do. Someone asked me the other day, you know, will it hurt them more offensively or defensively? And I, I don't think you can give an answer because mm. he's so good at both. I mean, the reason they're the best shot blocking team in the country is because he's there. Um, the reason they're one of the best offensive and three point shooting teams is because he's there. Not only because he makes threes, but he, he spreads the court. And it's interesting, <clears throat> Dana Altman plays uh, Jordan Bell. And Boucher, a lot of times, not at the same time. And they do that because they have, you know, the the Pac-12 player of the year, Dylan Brooks, who they put at the four, and then they rotate those big guys. And so they, every single play down the court, they got a a five man that's, you know, out on the perimeter. And so it really opens things up for for Dane Altman's team. You know, they, they, it's, it's a huge advantage for them. Um, and, and, you know, and I think 
the other thing is, as you said, just kind of emotional for a team. I was, we were trying to think of a team that lost a guy like that, you know, towards the tournament. I know the, you know, Kenyon Martin, you right. know, was probably the best example. I, you know, the other one that we didn't come up with right away was, was Brandon Ashley from Arizona. And he was lost, though, in the middle of the season. And so, you know, Arizona that year had a chance to to regroup and kind of figure out how to play without him. So then you think of the Boucher injury. I mean, that happens, what, five days before the first game. And so you're trying to, you know, how do you restructure the roles and identities and all that of a guy that's, you know, arguably your second best player? So, I, you know, it's a huge blow. Um, I, I, I would have picked them... I think is my my number one Pac-12 team, you know, to to advance. Of course, you know that would have assumed they they might have beaten Arizona in the championship game, but they lost him. Arizona wins the game, and you know I think it's I think it's going to be. With that said, though, you know they only lost Arizona by three, and right. they still have a ton of talent. They've got Dylan Brooks. They've got Dana Altman, which I think is huge. And I, you know, I think I think they get to the second weekend, and if they do that, as you know, I mean, it's a, you know, then kind of anything's possible. But I think it hurts them because they're they're in a really, to me, like out of the Pac-12 teams, I thought they were in the toughest bracket. You know, when I kind of went through it. Um, well, let's you know, let's go through that. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let's talk about it. So, all right. So first of all, so we'll talk about sort of Oregon's path, but then just also what it means bigger picture. Oregon play, playing Iona in the first round, and I think people feel like even though Boucher is going to be out, you know, again, Cavell Bigby-Williams is going to fill in some, and then, you know, you have a shot blocker right off the bench. I mean, that's the crazy thing about how yeah. talented this Oregon team is that's that they true. can just bring someone else in. But but the thing is that I think people still expect, even the people that think Oregon's going to be down, they at least still think they're going to get by Iona in the first round. But here's where things get interesting, because in this this portion of the Midwest bracket, You've got Louisville, who should advance. They're playing Jacksonville State. An interesting game in Michigan, Oklahoma State. And then the other one is Creighton, Rhode Island. So if Oregon were to win, they'd face the winner of Creighton, Rhode Island, who, again, seems like a winnable game, even though both of those teams are solid. Um, Rhode Island right now, I feel like, is really hot. And, uh, you know, uh, Danny Hurley, who, you know, we see, you know, younger brother of Bobby Hurley and son of Bob Hurley, the great St. Anthony's high school coach. Like Rhode Island plays extremely hard, and that's a a tough team that's right now rolling. So there is some momentum, but I still think Oregon has a great chance, you know, at least to advance those first two rounds. Yeah, no, I I would agree. I mean, you never know. I don't I don't see Rhode Island. I haven't seen them play this year. I've seen Creighton play. You know, very well coached. Um, you know, a good league, tough. You know, just hard-nosed team, disciplined team. But you're right, Rhode Island, and I just watching Bobby Hurley coach, I know his brother probably coaches like him. I mean, they're as tough as any team you see in the Pac-12 just in terms of, a, you know, kind of a mindset and an intensity. So, you know, they, they you got to play well. I mean, you, you don't win in the tournament if you're playing your, what, C game or C play. That, that's the thing about the tournament. You, you don't go out and hope the other team plays poorly. You You really have to take games in the tournament. You have to win them. And, you know, what I mean by that is the, one of the hardest things to do in, in the tournament is to play um, is to play free, but to play not to lose. 
And it's hard because the number one thing on your mind a lot of times is losing <laughs> because you know you're once it's done, um, you know, the finality of the of an NCAA tournament game is a it's a death blow. I mean, you just it's really, really hard to, if you haven't, you know, people that haven't been in it and played on a team, and especially when you expect to win, you know, when you expect to, and you're the favorite and you're, you're, the expectations are high, when there's a loss, it's, and I can talk about that later, but it's, it's such a, it's such a devastating thing that that's what creates kind of this, this feeling of, of this, this really tough feeling and balance of you want to be yourself, you want to do things just like you've always done them, but if you don't come out and, and take the game, there's a good chance you're going to lose it, even in the, you know, possibly in the first round, probably not, but especially when you get to the second round, like you said, you're playing hot teams. You're playing a team like Rhode Island that's rolling. They've won 25 games, so you need to go out and win that game, and sometimes that mindset, you know, it's hard to do. It, it's It's hard, and especially as you know, Adam, when you get to a to a neutral site in an NCAA tournament game and you're the favorite, the everyone in the crowd is rooting against you. I mean everyone. And it's because they smell it. You know, they smell the upset. It's like blood in the water. And I've been in those games where you're the you know, the higher seed and, and you're losing or it's close and it starts to get late. And it is incredibly difficult not to tighten up. You know, not to feel that pressure, not to play loose and just, you know, do your thing, but do it at a high level. So, you know, you never know. But I, I agree with you. I think they get out of there um, and then they get into, you know, an interesting regional there with with Louisville, who I think's outstanding. You know, they could be one of the top five teams in the country. Um, and and then on top of that, they've I think they've got Michigan, Oklahoma State, who are both. I mean, Oklahoma State's one of the hottest teams in the country the last month and a half. And and then um, you know Michigan had a really interesting tournament. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. Their 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 flight and crazy stuff. So who yeah. knows? I mean, I, I think they get there, and then it's it you know. But the good news is the the positive if you're Oregon is you look at it and say hey it's two games. You know we've got two games and 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 they've got the chops to do it in their you know their first six or seven guys even without Boucher. Yeah, you know it's interesting. You hear from coaches they the ones that have success in the tournament. I've heard. Shashevsky say this and a, a host of other coaches, um, Calipari, you know, if you break it down into just three small tournaments and try to convince your guys, hey, we're not we're not facing the entire field. We don't have to beat the field. We're in a four team tournament. Let's win that tournament and see what comes up next weekend. And it seems like the coaches that can somehow get that mindset through to their kids yeah. that it's not them against the world. And, you know, Obviously, it's a billion-dollar business, but just to try to break it down into smaller terms that, that they can chew on sort of seems to help them out a little bit. Dude, before I get on to the, some more of these games, you know, you played with one of the coaches that seemed to be so great at keeping his poise no matter what the pressure was like in, in Lute Olson. How did he, during the NCAA tournament, uh, keep things, you know, cool? How did he keep everyone level-headed? Well, he was he was kind of a, a you know John Wooden disciple, and so his, what I mean by that is his theory was, you know, you want to be the same. You don't want to, you know, start really revving up. Okay, we got to do this now. We got to do that because that would create pressure. 
right? You wanted you wanted to treat it, you know, like you were treating a, a tough game, you know, at UCLA in mid-February. So do the same things, like really repeat, you know, those habits. And I think for for Lute, it, it was extremely successful when he got to the second, like the second weekend. So when he was in the Sweet 16 in the final eight and final four, I, I thought it was really, really successful. I think what was tough sometimes was, you know, when John Wooden played, they were playing at home. They had, you know, far superior talent. And they also, you know, played less games. And so it was it was a little easier. I think the, the tough thing with that, though, is you I think the one additional thing you you have to have to do is play with you know be yourself be the same don't change but almost the same kind of in the same vein play with like crazy intensity and emotion mm-hmm. and I, you know it's kind of hard to explain to do both of those at the same time mm-hmm. and I actually I actually heard Sean Miller talk about it a few years ago I, it was like the second or third tournament he was in at U of A and I was at a press conference and I heard him say that. So he, he was saying exactly what Lute said, but at the same time, he added, you know, our guys have to play with this, like the highest amount of intensity and emotion that they can summon. And I thought that was really interesting because it was almost kind of a little bit of a modern twist on Lute and, and you know, and John Wood and what their theories were going into the tournament. So, I mean, you know, it, and, and it makes sense. I mean, it really does make sense. Well, think about it. I mean, let you take a Louisville squad that's playing Jacksonville State. I mean, Louisville has the name. They've got the pedigree. They got Patino there. I mean, for these Jacksonville State kids, when they face Louisville, it, it's it's going to be a level of, you know, starry-eyed behavior. But then at the same time, they also realize the best thing in their lives would be if they could pull off a 15-2 yeah. upset. I mean, that would be game-changing forever. That's what they would always be known as. They'd be on that list with the, the Coppin State kids and, you know, uh, Florida Gulf Coast of the world. And and so yeah. I, there's something to that that, yes, there's going to be an intimidation factor from the, the Blue Bloods, but at the same time, there's something from these small schools where they're going to come with crazy intensity and nothing to lose. So in that, that particular region, I, I think, you know, Michigan – Oklahoma State, as you were talking about, is a really interesting game. I think one of the most interesting games. Jawan Evans is a kid on Oklahoma State that I love. He's a lead guard that just can do some magical things with the ball, and he plays pretty hard. And Derek Walton's a point guard from Michigan who's very good, and obviously I'm huge on point guards and, and being such a key to winning national championships. So I think I think either one of those teams could end up knocking off Louisville. I think Oklahoma State is going to become – a team that uh, takes down the the darling of the tournament, and that's Michigan. Everyone's rooting for Michigan right now, and I think Oklahoma State's going to sneak in, take them out, and I think they could take out Louisville, which, again, would set things up well for for Oregon. At the top of that bracket, Matt, is a Kansas team which has been near the top uh, throughout the entire season, and they've got some teams that could challenge them, you know, uh, Miami, Michigan State, Iowa State, I really like. People are high on Nevada. Uh, Purdue, I I love and think could possibly come out of this region as as a Final Four squad. Out of those teams, from what you've seen so far, uh, what are your thoughts? You know, the team you mentioned that, that I would 
that I would think I think has a great chance to actually you know kind of go through that whole bracket is Purdue. And you know I saw them play against Arizona State, and I mean they beat them by you know, 80 points or whatever it was. They were, that was one of the most impressive games I've seen all year. In fact, it was a game that actually turned Arizona State's season around. They, they got manhandled so badly that Bobby Hurley, you know, you know, basically called out the, the everything of their manhood of, in his team. And they, they actually got better after that game. But I just, I just couldn't believe how physical and tough and good inside and, and kind of balanced Purdue was. And, mm. So that that was a team that you know for me, um, that that was someone I you know I don't see all these teams play. I see a lot of obviously Pac-12 almost every, you know all of the games, but I, I just was I was super impressed with those guys and and I think to me as I said they had great balance. Like I, I really loved their offense, but their defense is it's a top twenty defense, and so I could I could easily see them breaking through and being a real problem for Kansas. Yeah, and that's that's my thought too. I mean they're really Big up front, Caleb Swanigan is he's about as tough as he's you'll find <laughs> anywhere, and he right. plays hard. It's one thing to have the you know NBA body; he was a lot bigger. He's lost weight. He's just he's just a physical guy. There's just no way around it. There's he, you're going to bounce off him. He's one of those kind of kids, and and he understands that. That's the thing. You have a lot of bigs who have big bodies. They're strong, but they might not use their body in a way that's intimidating. And he's the exact opposite. He he gets after it every time down the floor. I love how hard that kid plays, especially for someone his size. Yeah, and I, what I remember, I agree 100%. And I remember their role guys were really, really efficient. You know, they they mm-hmm. they were just really efficient. They they did everything well, um, well coached. So, yeah, that's that's I've got them going pretty far in my bracket or when I fill it out tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Well, you're going to fill it out right here. So, no, d- yeah, Dakota Mathias. <laughs> Dakota Mathias is a guy that can can shoot the ball. Is one of the best defenders in the Big Ten. And then Ryan Klein's another shooter on their team. the The role players are are critical for them. Edwards. They, there's just a lot of talent and uh, efficiency on that that Purdue roster that I really like. If you if we move over to the, the to the South, uh, North Carolina ends up with a number one seed. It looks like they got a pretty good draw just in terms of the teams that could potentially challenge them. It's not to say that those the teams around them in Greenville and, and in Milwaukee aren't aren't very good. It's just that the teams that could potentially challenge a North Carolina team that, you know, Matt, I, I talk about the, the five keys that I have for NCAA tournament success, NBA caliber point guard, multiple NBA players, rim protection. Uh, three-point shooting and, and a go-to score, and, and North Carolina checks all the boxes in a big way, and, and I think we'd be hard-pressed to, to sleep on them as a national champion, even though they lost in the ACC tournament. The bottom, though, of that bracket is what really intrigues me, especially because you've got UCLA and Kentucky, and that's what everybody's pointing at. First question is, do you think that we'll end up with a Sweet 16 matchup of UCLA and Kentucky? And then secondly, um, you know, how do you feel about how UCLA is playing right now? You know, yeah, I, I, I see a lot of chalk in that. I don't, I don't see North Carolina losing at all to, to the Elite Eight. I mean, I looked at looked at their bracket. I There's no one there to me that would scare me. I know Butler's good, but, man, North Carolina just seems bigger, stronger, better. Um, you know, UCLA is, is interesting. I think Kentucky's playing really well. 
I think, you know, obviously young guys that are starting to feel it now later in the year, they have a tough game against Wichita State. And I think you probably know this. Didn't didn't they lose to Wichita State a couple years ago in the second round? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm assuming Wichita State would be Dayton. I mean, Dayton seated ahead of them and, you know, Sean Miller's brother, Archie, great coach, another great team. I just... The last two years, Wichita State has been so underseeded in my mind. It's a joke. I mean, I look at some of these, you know, some of these sites with the metrics, and they're they're like a top, like almost a top ten team, like right in the top ten on some of these other teams. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet here they are a ten seed. It's it's unbelievable to me. And and you would think to me, you would think the committee would learn from what they learned last year when Arizona played them. And I almost felt like they should have been seated higher than Arizona going into the game. And I think they were, what, a 12? And and destroyed Arizona last year in that first round. So, I don't know. That That's that's a tough it's a tough draw for Dayton's probably sitting there saying the same thing Sean Miller was saying last year. How, how in the heck do we play these guys? My brother just had them last year. But I think Kentucky, that's a tough game for them. If they get through that second round, um, now you you look at UCLA. I, I don't see UCLA losing. I know people say Cincinnati is a tough draw. I think that that kind of lines up for them okay, how they play. I The thing about UCLA is this. I mean, I think when all things considered, if they play their A game, kind of A or A-plus game, and, and what that means to me is, you know, a, a decent defense, a defense that has gotten way better since like mid-January. Mm-hmm. Are they a great defense? No, but they've gotten decent. They're playing more zone. They're more active on defense. They're paying more attention to it. And they've gotten to the point where they've gotten a lot better than they were. But if they play that A offensive game, I actually think they have the highest ceiling of just about anybody in the whole tournament. Because when the offense is rolling, it's unstoppable. And, you know, I kind of made the comparison to Tiger Woods. It's like, you know, when you have the golfer that has that you know, he's hitting at 325 and hitting the fairway and all that's working. He's going to win the tournament every time. But again, like Tiger Woods or like that analogy, you're not hitting the fairway every time. And so mm-hmm. you're not going to play six games where you hit 15 threes and, you know, everyone, everybody's hot. The question is, and I think they're good enough, their defense is good enough to get them to the, to the Sweet 16. Then what I think is important for them is, in the Sweet 16 and in the, in the Elite Eight, if they if they can get there, their offense to me has to play like an A A minus game to move on. And if they do that, I think they get to the Final Four. You know, if they have if they have a clunker, you know, if they have a bad game where they're where they're just missing shots, I don't think their defense will carry them. You know, past that. So in some ways, like for the Pac-12 schools, I think their ceiling may be the highest, but in some respects, I could see their floor being the lowest. Right. The the thing for me for UCLA is that, first of all, offensively, I'm a little worried about them as the season sort of tailed off. I mean, you know, I was pointing out to someone today, and I tweeted about this, that if you look at the games UCLA scored less than 78 points this year, in uh, November, it happened to them once, December once, January once, February once, March four times out of five games. So... You're talking about an offense that we've been talking about is, you know, I've I've said I, I think this is the best shooting team that I've seen in two decades, uh, just because we're talking about the amount of shooters they can put on the floor at one time. You know, the Wisconsin team that went to the national championship a couple of years ago was a very good shooting team, uh, but this team 
is unbelievable at all five positions. They can shoot the ball so well. But there's just been something lacking, I feel like, you know, from the offense. Who knows if it's the LeVar Ball factor, whatever. But it just seems something is off with this UCLA squad. But what I think is interesting, Matt, is that regardless, I think something that's not talked about a lot, and that is the preparation uh, and the game plan that a coach can put in with his with his kids leading up to the game. So now UCLA's first round game is against Kent State. It's going to be, you know, Kent State's going to have time to prepare and all that, but it doesn't matter. You can't replicate the fact that UCLA's big step outside and shoot it as well as, you know, Welsh does from 15 feet and, and Leaf, you know, on trail threes and what have you. But then if you go the next round, now it's only two days later. So yeah. that's when they would potentially be playing Cincinnati, maybe K-State, maybe Wake Forest, who has a wonderful big and John Collins I've been gushing about, as you, as you know. But but still, that's only – so to me, even though Cincinnati's got a really good defense, I think it's going to be really difficult because I think unless you've seen UCLA in person and you've played them, I think it's hard to understand how good their bigs are at shooting the basketball. And so – I just think the tendency is to leave guys like that. You're not used to guarding five guys, you know, at, you know, Welsh out to 12 feet, 15 feet, but then everyone else at the three-point line. And I think because of that, I think their offense will end up paying off for them um, in that game. And then I think Kentucky has already seen UCLA. In fact, this will be the third time in two years that Kentucky is playing right. UCLA if they do indeed meet up. Right. And I think, again, you've got an advantage there. And and again, that's a few days later where Kentucky has had some time to prepare for playing them. So I think sometimes, and look, you've played in it. You can speak to it more than I can. But I feel like we, we always talk about the matchups and we talk about where these games are played. I think sometimes when they're played, you know, if it's a Thursday, yeah. Saturday, the difference between playing a team on a Thursday and then playing them on a Saturday when you don't have a chance to implement a game plan, the kind of difference that makes. How, how much do you remember about that from your your playing days? You know, I mean, it, it was absolutely huge. And, um, you know, it reminds me of a great quote by Lorenzo Romar, you know, easy to, easy to scout, hard to guard. And so you look on the film, you're like, yeah, that looks, I get that. that you know, it's, <laughs> that, they look like another team we played or whatever. And I remember my, my junior year, we we played a team, Alabama, in the second round. And we, you know, granted, we didn't play well the first game. We go into the second game, and I think we were a two-seed, so I think they were a, whatever that would be, a seven or a ten. They were completely underseeded, and I think back to, I think they had like four or five pros on the team. It was ridiculous, and one of them was Robert Ory. Another yep. one was um, Keith Askins. Another yep. one was David Benoit. Who who played yeah. in the pros? All through, there's a whole front line. And by the way, Askins came off the bench. He was like their sixth man. This was this and, before was this before James Hollywood Robinson? Is that yes? Yeah, I think that was before that. And then okay. and then they had a center named Melvin Cheatham that yeah. you know probably could have played in the pros, may have played for a little bit, but I think ended up playing a lot overseas. And he was fantastic. Their bigs were so good and quick and could shoot it. And oh, we had great bigs. But they weren't as they weren't as agile and kind of you know moving around like the like like and they absolutely you know there was one point in the game where it was tied in the second half and Robert Ory hit three threes in about thirty seconds and we went from tied to down nine and I'll tell you at that point we panicked you know we we thought here we go there's you know fifteen minutes to go and the, it felt like the game was over right and you you know the crowd was kind of going against you and all that but 
I like I I didn't go into the game even knowing Robert Ory's name. And you know, we're on the West Coast. We don't really see them play a ton. And this is back when I mean, now even more games are on. So it was even less games are on that you're able to see a team like this. The only guy on the team I knew was their coach, Wimp Sanderson, because he wore the you know the the plaid jacket. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't know anybody else on their team. And and here I looked back, you know, three years after that, and we lost, and I thought is a joke you know this team should have been like a three seed and and we and we didn't take them lightly but we didn't have an edge you know we weren't we weren't really prepared in in terms of mentally knowing you know just how good the team was and and i and you know they they blew us out and that was because we had no time to prepare for them we really didn't you know get to appreciate now if we had had them the next week you know and they had blown someone out we, we you know i think that would have given us and the coaches probably had a good game plan, but the players didn't really have that appreciation for what these guys could do. And and I'm not sure like our bigs even thought like, oh, I got to get out on this guy Robert Ory, who uh, might might hit a pretty clutch shot in this game. <laughs> they didn't know that. Ten years later, he was hitting them in NBA Finals, and so you know, guys guys were leaving that guy open, and he he buried a few in a row, and the game was essentially over right there. Right. What year was that? That was uh, 1990. In fact, that was the year you and I've talked about this before. That was the year that Loyola made their run um, in that West region. Ah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> and we, in fact, we were supposed to play Michigan. I think is the way it was set up. And Loyola beat Michigan, and and Alabama beat us. And then I think I think uh, Alabama. I think they beat no Loyola beat Alabama, right? And then Loyola eventually lost to Vegas. To go to the final four. Hmm. Yep. Well, was, I just looked it up, and I know Latrell Sprewell played on Alabama from ninety to ninety-two, and James Hollywood Robinson played from ninety to ninety-three. So it could have been a couple more guys that you didn't know the yeah. names of back then. I didn't know and, the uh, names, and here they were, just yeah, destroying us. <laughs> that tells now, that tells now, you everything. Yeah. yeah. Now teams will know UCLA's names probably. I mean, those guys will know their names, but again, it's the whole point of you have one day to institute this system. I mean, institute, you know, your whole preparation for it. It's hard. I mean, it's 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 really hard to do. I I bet I bet you if you did like man on the street interview with some of these college players, um, you know, in that south region and ask them who Thomas Welsh was, I don't know how right. many of them would actually know who that is. I mean, they're going to know Lonzo Ball. They probably would know LaMelo and LiAngelo Ball, but they're not going to know, (laughs) you know. Yeah. Um, Or or Holiday. I I mean, who's going to know the six-man Holiday who's probably going to be a pro here in a couple years? Exactly. And that another reason that that UCLA can be so so deadly. So I think that that whole uh, region, that whole storyline is is fascinating. And, um, you know, assuming that Lonzo Ball is healthy, assuming TJ Leaf is healthy, and he sure looked like, you know, he was, at, at, you know, in the in the uh, Pac-12 tournament. I mean, UCLA, obviously, we've seen that they can be as good as anyone. And by the way, it's kind of unfair that I bring up the point about them not scoring 78 points. I mean, when you're playing, you know, Arizona and you're playing USC, it's a lot different than middle-of-the-pack Pac-12 teams. So. Sure. Um, yeah. that, you know, that also can skew but, things, you know, point well taken. And, and by the way, UCLA has a very, very thin bench, 
You know, I, I mean, we were joking about this with Kevin O'Neill every show. You know, he's like, nobody gets tired. And I was like, yeah, they do. <laughs> but anyway, they, they have a really thin bench. You wonder, you know, is the season worn on them a little bit? Those guys play a ton of minutes. You know, they're, 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 they're out there a lot. Does it affect them? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's just a, a quirky stat, but something to think about, you know, because of their, they really play, they really play six guys and then their seventh and eighth guys, you know, just don't, they play a little bit here and there. So no doubt, no doubt. All right. So let's move over to the West region. Uh, Gonzaga got the one seed. Uh, I'm not even going to ask you as an Arizona guy, how you feel about Gonzaga getting the one <laughs> and Arizona getting the two. And in a sense, it, it almost, it doesn't matter because they are in the same region. That's really what I'm sure most uh, fans of Tucson really cared about, as long as they were in the same region, you know, that they were in the West, that, um, you know, look, San Jose is is where uh, the regional final would take place. And so because of that, obviously, Arizona is going to travel and that's going to be huge for them. Um, but- well, well, I'll actually inter- well, let me interject. I actually, if I were an Arizona fan and player and everything else, I would I would want to be the two seed. And and I say I say that because there's there's this psychological thing with you know we see it all the time with you know who who's the underdog and granted if Gonzaga and Arizona play I mean come on who's really the, it's just these guys are pretty dead even it's hard to say one would be the underdog but you know there there's a there's a, to me it, it would make a big difference because I'm Arizona I'm thinking number one we lost to Gonzaga earlier this year. But they did it without Alonzo Trier, and they did it without Parker Jackson Cartwright, um, and they only lost by seven in that game, by the way. But but then you add to the fact Gonzaga would be the one, and you're like, hey, we're the underdog in this game, and that psychological kind of saying, hey, we're going to come in and play free. There's no pressure on us. They're the guys that are supposed to win this. They've never been to a Final Four. This could be this could be the the biggest. I, I think of those Gonzaga players if they get to the Elite Eight and they have to play Arizona. Who, by the way, both those teams have had some amazing, you know, historical games between them. There was one in in Salt Lake City years ago that was one of the, I think it was a double overtime game, one of the great college games ever. But if they had to beat Arizona to get there, you know how much pressure those guys feel, and you'd hope they wouldn't feel pressure. You'd hope it'd be more, hey, this is a great opportunity, and they might. But that's a lot of pressure being that number one seed, and and it's it's even pressure in the in the second and third games. It I I was on teams Adam that for four years the first two years we were number one seeds, and then my last two years we were a two and a two, and I can just tell you it's it, it's it's not easy in those seeds it's really tough, and the, I was joking with somebody today that the term survive in advance is the most apt term of all time because we would get done with those games and you would literally just be relieved I like thank God we won this game. I'm, I'm, let's just move on. That was not even fun playing in that game. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. You'd think like it's the time of your life, right? But if you're a one or a two, you're so expected to win. And if you do lose, it's the most devastating thing. It, it, it's, it's crushing. It's, it's so crushing. And I mean, I, I, we, we lost when I was a sophomore, we had the number one team in the country, Sean Elliott. And we lost to Vegas in the Sweet 16. And I remember it was so devastating. I remember we got back a few a few of my buddies. And the next day we drove to Mexico. I had an uncle that lived in, in Rocky Point, Mexico. And we, we literally had to, that, that was literally leaving the country. We were so distraught. And we were supposed to have a team meeting. 
um, like on that Tuesday. Lou always would call a team meeting, and he, then he would be gone, you know, for the summer and go on vacation and recruit and all that. And we went down there, and we wouldn't come back. We we were so distraught. We, in fact, I remember one of us. I think we we had our we had one of our guys call Kevin O'Neill, who was our student assistant. He called Kevin. and He said, "Hey, um, our car broke down, and we can't make it back." And <laughs> Kevin said, "Kevin said, yeah, right. Your car didn't break down." He's like, "That's BS." And he said, "Well." You need to tell Lute our car broke down because we're not coming back. So, so we Lute had to cancel the meeting. He, he, I, I probably never told this story publicly, so I hope Lute doesn't hear this. But he, he was so mad, and we were down there. And I'm telling you, it was we needed to literally get away from everything. I, I couldn't watch games. I couldn't even ask people who, you know, who, who was winning games, and, and it was, it was just, it was a crushing blow. Especially, like I said, when you're that high, those expectations really go up. Well, someone said that the other day about uh, Jim Beheim and, and Syracuse not getting in and just how distraught Beheim seemed just for his kids. And yeah. I remember the analyst said, yeah, the reason why isn't just because they're not going to play anymore. But you talk about face the music. Everywhere they turn for the next, you know, three weeks is going to be nothing but March Madness. I mean, commercials. I I know every night on Sports Center, you know, everywhere you turn is going to be nothing but people talking about this tournament. And if you're not even a part of it to start with, I mean, that's that's crazy. But then, Matt, for you, the I'm I'm always curious about this because you bring up the point and, you know, playing at that level, guys talk about, you know, oh, there's no pressure or they could play free. As best you could. Sum up what that actually means on the basketball court. Well, I th- I think what it means is is you're not worried about the result, and so you're playing you're playing with great energy. You know, you're, you're having fun. I think that's maybe one of the number one things. You're having a good time. I mean, you're really enjoying what you're doing. You know, you're balling out there. It's like any of us. You go play a pickup game. And think of a pickup game where you're just balling and you feel good. You know, a high school game. That's that's how you're supposed to play. And and the result, you know, if you think about that and you're balling and your team's balling and you know you end up losing that pickup game, no big deal. You know, the, the result is almost secondary because the idea of competing and hitting a couple buckets and you hit your buddy on a bounce pass and you're like, man, that's how you play the game. And and those feelings and how you know all of that is is the the ideal way to play and you know and play with great emotion and all that but it's not result driven and when, so when you were not, playing them go ahead go ahead yeah no i was just going to say so if if you're not result driven it's it's more process oriented you're 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 having fun during that moment and you're you're getting the most out of what you have and and that result to some degree kind of seems meaningless where what happens in these games is the result becomes the number one thing on your mind. And so all of that stuff that I just said leading up to a result not gets lost, but it 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 almost is like subordinate to the, you know, to what I just said, the result. It's a hundred percent result driven at that point. And so it's this great kind of conundrum to try to be able to, you know, play that free open whatever. And even though you know the result is important and extremely important, you know, not not think about that, not deal with that, not have to take that into consideration. For you as a player, 
how would your game change when you felt like you were somewhat uptight? And by that question, what I mean is, would you shoot the ball more? Would you shoot less? Would you pass up shots? Would you, you know, decide to attack the rim? Or were you trying to force passes? Right. I don't want to speak for you. I'm just, I'm just trying to get in your head as a player on the court, as a guard for Arizona, you know, in the right. NCAA tournament, and you're feeling pressure. How would that personally change your game? You know, I, I'll try to give you a good example. I, as a as a sophomore, I was starting on our team. As I said, we were ranked number one in the country, and I felt like, you know, I was probably the fourth or fifth fifth option on our starting five. We had Sean Elliott and Anthony Cook and Judd Bushler, and you know, those were the stars of the team. And so I remember playing in the tournament that year, and I remember the second game. I had a great game. Actually, the game we lost to Vegas, I played pretty well. But I didn't. I never felt really pressure in those games because I was kind of the fourth or fifth option, and so I remember playing pretty free. Like, hey, I'm just going to do my job. We got, and, and by the way, I had my. You know, you had the the the, uh, you know, the, the fallback. We got Sean. You know, if anything, <laughs> if I screw up, Sean's going to take care of it. You know? right. So it, it's not on me to win this game. I'm going to just. And I was like, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to play D, and and you know be the role player that I am and I'm going to hit a couple threes and and do what I do. But I remember in fact I remember distinctly as a senior there was a point in a game we played a second round game against St. Francis and they had a guy named Mike Isolino who was a really good player back then oh, really yeah. good. We ended up playing for the Mavericks. And, yeah, yeah, he played for the Mavericks. Yep. A- and I remember guarding him and you know, it was, just, it was a tough guard, but there was a point where it got really close late in the game. And I remember, you know, there was a, there was a, there was a, the ball swung around and I remember having a, it wasn't an open three, but it was one that if we were rolling, I might've taken, you know, if I would, and I had a great game. I was feeling good. I had tons of confidence, but I remember thinking to myself, okay, there's a lot on the line here, you know, maybe don't take that shot, get a better shot. Not not that that's a bad thing, all right? You're trying to get a good shot. But I remember just hesitating that one play, like, you know, I, you know, maybe I shouldn't take this. I was It was like a 22-footer, but I was kind of feeling it. And I think if it had been a game in the middle of the season, I just would have let it fly. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm a senior now. It was kind of my team. I'm the captain. And the, the thing I didn't want to do was was – you know, I'll say, I don't want to take a bad shot. If we can get a better shot and get it inside to Rooks, and that's that's a better play right now um, than maybe taking a little bit of a, a questionable shot from deep, you know, after one pass or whatever. That's and I remember really telling myself, yeah, and I remember telling myself after that, I, I kind of turned down that shot. And I remember coming back, and I was sort of mad at myself, and I said, screw that, you know, don't 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 do that. I mean, just let it fly next time. If it comes around, let it fly. This is you, you. You can't think about the result. And I remember being incredibly, you know, stuck on the result. Like, you know, it's my senior year. We got to get to the Sweet 16 and make a run here. If we lost in the second round, I, you know, I might still be, you know, hanging around Salt Lake City trying to figure <laughs> out what to do. <laughs> so that, I just remember that one moment, and and uh, and that was to me a good example of of being a little bit, you know, kind of gripping a little bit about about moving on. That's that's really interesting. So you you had mentioned early on that it's Salt Lake City has these memories for Gonzaga and Arizona, and both of them happen to be playing in in Salt Lake City. 
this weekend, and it, it's not, uh, or, you know, um, well, on Friday, but it, not against each other. But the, the thing is, though, about these teams, I think people assume that it's going to be a lock for Arizona and Gonzaga to get through. And part of the reasons, because of the years they've had, I mean, both of them have had great years. Gonzaga, obviously, you know, one loss to BYU, who happens to be their kryptonite, but they've been outstanding. They just blow away everybody that they play. And then Arizona, how they closed out the season. But there's some other teams that could could trip them up and uh, spoil the opportunity to see that that one two regional final. I mean, uh, you know, Notre Dame is a team that I've been really high on for a while before they made the run in the ACC tournament. But I think they showed everyone just how good they can be uh, when all things are clicking. Um, you know, West Virginia is also up there. Vanderbilt has a kid by the name of Luke Cornett, who is a big guy who could step. I mean, he's not necessarily big, but he's he's scrawny, but he's He's tall and he's very skilled, can step outside and shoot it and just causes tons of matchup problems. And then, you know, Florida State could potentially be looming, maybe Maryland, even St. Mary's, who you take away the three losses they had to Gonzaga this year. They only lost one other game all year long. So St. Mary's yeah. another team you can't you can't sleep on. If you're Arizona, which which team do you think that's hanging out, you know, down in the bottom part of that bracket? would you be the most fearful of? Well, I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, Xavier's going to be tough. That could be another Sean Miller, you know, Chris Mack matchup. That's always tough mm-hmm. playing an old coach. And, and Arizona struggled with them a few years ago um, in the tournament and ended up winning it, but that would not be easy. I think the second game, VCU, you know, the way they play is not easy if they were to beat St. Mary's. On the other hand, St. Mary's, I could make an argument that St. Mary's should be like a four or five seed. Maybe, I mean, maybe even better than that. They're on one of the data sites I was looking at, Ken, Ken Pomeroy's site, he's got them rated 14th in the country. <laughs> and, they're, and they're a seven seed. I mean, it's, you know, they have some incredible numbers. And on top of it, you know, they've got a great coach. And those are, those are, you know, and they play so disciplined and so hard and, um, those are tough teams to always play. I mean, they, they've got, and they've got incredible balance because they've got great offense as well. So there, nobody's walking into it on that side. Um, and I didn't even mention Florida state, which is probably the most talented team on that whole side. But I do feel, I feel like Arizona's kind of the, the, the connection now between, uh, you know, Trier and Markinen. Markinen went through a slump. Um, I think it was, they were all trying to figure out when Trier came back, what everybody's role was. And I think they really struggled with it. Um, and I think now it, it seemed to click, uh, the, the last week against Arizona state and then in Vegas, it just all seemed to click. And, um, so that's, you know, that's great news for them heading into the, into the tourney. I worry about them. They don't have a, you know, maybe just a lockdown NBA point guard, you know, Alonzo Ball or, a, mm-hmm. you know, the kid from Kentucky or something like that. That's, I've always, you know, you went through your five, you know, metric, you know, five things you think are really important. I, I mean, my number one thing has always been pros. Give me just the amount of pros on your team and I'll tell you which team's going to advance more or more often than not. And especially if they have good coaches, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think after that, you look at point guards and, you know who the point guard is, and 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 both guards. I mean, because we've seen now. I think I saw a stat that the last three national champions have had have had guards. Their one and two guards have actually both been point guards. 
Um, so team teams that teams that mm-hmm. support a kind of a dual point guard system, and I think that's that's been really advantageous. Arizona doesn't really have that, although I think Kadeem Allen has has played really well this year, and then Parker Jackson Cartwright off the bench has played well as, as a great six man. So I'm not as worried about that because they also have other guys that bring it up like Trier, um, right. but they've got a ton of pros, and and I think because of that they'll move on with all their pros. I mean, at the end of the day, the key to having why why a point guard is so important at the college level is a to settle the team down and and b just to to get guys the ball in good spots and obviously you know Parker Jackson Cartwright when he's playing well he's he's doing that uh you know he yes. he provides a presence and and can pass the basketball he's making really smart decisions he's playing as confidently as I've seen him since he's been there you know being this big recruit and uh you know, coming to Arizona, he's he's showing those those flashes, and maybe he doesn't have you know an NBA body, but he's certainly been a guy that can play with just about anyone when he's at the top of his game. And I know that's high praise right now for him, but but that's that is yeah. how he's playing. Um, Matt, the the uh, interesting thing about Gonzaga is their first round matchup. I look at some point we're going to get a sixteen beating one. <laughs> that's right. It's going to it's going to happen. South Dakota State won their conference tournament. I think they were seeded fourth in their conference tournament. They did not have a great year. I mean, this, we're talking about a team that's not playing great competition and finished 18 and 16. So, you know, that's why they're 16 seeded. It's for a reason. But sure. that being said, they have a kid on their team named Mike Dom who uh, is like 6'8". NBA scouts are looking at him. He was one of the leading scorers in the country. And uh, he is a, a matchup nightmare because of the way that he just fills it up. He had like 52 a few games ago. Um, he's averaging like over 30 points a game, I want to say, over his last, you know, over 33 points a game maybe over his last five. Uh, you know, I, I calculated those numbers earlier and, and, and forgot exactly what they are. But regardless, you know, we've seen Harold the show Arsenault and and so many other you know great figures through the years have just monster tournament games and come out of nowhere and guys just seem to catch fire and you know Wally Zerbiak made his mark in the NCAA tournament. Uh, have you had an experience? I mean, you, you brought up uh, Robert Ory, but but what kind of experience have you had in being a top seeded team that all of a sudden went up and against a guy who? Who could really, really fill it up? Any, any, what memories come to mind when I bring that up? Um, let's see. We we played. Um, well, the, I gave you that example, Mike Isolino. You know, yeah. we we, yeah. Were, we were a two seed, and he and they were a fifteen, and you know, they just went pick and roll with Mike Isolino, and they had another guy on their team. I can't remember his name that that had an incredible game. So they had a one-two punch that played like they were a five seed in that game. And we played really well. And I think one by 10, I mean, it was, it was tough down the stretch and they were hitting shots and again, playing free. And so you have that one guy bombing threes. And again, he was an NBA player. You know, I didn't, I didn't really know who he was. And <laughs> here he come, and you know, I was thought I was a good player and you know, a year later he's in the NBA and I'm not. So I'm on a two-seeded team, and he's on the team that everyone expected to lose. So that's the part, you know, again, people don't see. I, You know, it's funny. I saw Gonzaga play in Salt Lake City, Adam, I think it was three years ago, when they were a number one seed. 
and they almost lost to Southern. And I, I remember that game getting mm-hmm. close at the end, and the tension in the air was palpable. You could feel it. Um, I mean, first of all, Southern's band, they have the greatest band ever. So every time out that, that the arena was going bananas, you know, everyone in the arena was, was rooting for Southern. Here we go. Finally, a 16 is going to beat a one. And I don't think this will happen this year because I think Gonzaga, this is their best team they've ever had, at least what I've seen. And, and you know, they've got a couple great, actually a couple great Pac-12 guys that have moved over there with Goss and and Jordan Matthews and Karnowski mm-hmm. down low, great players. So I don't see it happening with them, but I did see it happening with them. And, and, and they're a team that, you know, awesome coach. He's incredible. I, I mean, I love Mark Few. But they aren't battle-tested, you know. They're not a team that is like, um, you know, Kansas that plays in a great league or, you know, North Carolina or someone like that where those leagues really battle-test you. And so if there was a team to do it, you could see it happening to a team like a mid-major that, you know, has been so dominant in their league just because they don't play those games every day. And so all of a sudden you get a close game and maybe that's a little bit foreign to you. Yeah, the interesting thing about the Gonzaga part is that they, when you brought up Karnowski, they got the Zach Collins kid. Just the size that they're going to have is going to be yeah. a great size advantage, and that's it's always incredible. what can separate the mid-majors out. But that that being said, I mean, look, there's a reason that these teams are 16th seeds. You know, they're 16 seeds. They're not, you know, if you were to, you know, extrapolate it out, that, that doesn't mean that they're the 64th best team in the country. You know, we're, right. we're, you know, our 68th <laughs> right. best team for, for the, the sake of this tournament. I mean, really, you know, a South Dakota State team, we're talking about one of the bottom half of, uh, of Division One. But that, still, that being said, I mean, they won their conference tournament. And, and because they're going to play so free, as you talked about, and you, you imagine, and then all of a sudden you throw in a kid that could, has the potential to put up 30 and get them buckets late in the game. It's, it's funny because you, br- you brought it up to start this thing. The pressure of losing, the fear of losing is so great that it just changes the DNA of a team as, as things are going along in the course of a game. You know, if, if North Carolina is losing to Texas Southern with eight minutes to play, it's not going to be the same North Carolina team that you see playing, you know, at, uh, at Cameron Indoor. You know, there's just a different vibe that they're going to have, you know, and, and the right. body language is different and the, the staff, the coaching staff gets nervous. Everyone starts yeah. to now worry about what what tomorrow's headlines will will look like. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> In fact, there's that. Yeah, go ahead. The, the, uh, no, uh, what I was going to say though is that all right. So if we assume though we say all that, and then I still, you know, look, I, I think Notre Dame is going to uh, cause a lot of issues. Like I said, uh, Florida State, I don't think is the same team that they were when they had a stretch where they were really hot in the middle of the season, but they have a lot of talent with Jonathan Isaac and Dwayne Bacon and guys and company. But if we assume that Gonzaga and Arizona do get to play in San Jose for that, that West Regional Final, neutral court, who wins the basketball game this time around? I think Arizona does, and I think I think they do for a couple reasons. One is they would have, to me, a great psychological advantage. And when you lose to a team in, in, you know, in the season, well, the first one I would say just because I think Arizona will be considered the underdog and they'll play that up. And there's an edge to that. And again, I think that is another pressure release when you're the underdog. 
Um, and so to them, they're thinking, hey, you know, we're not supposed to win this thing. Let's just go out and have some fun. The other thing is, I think that they, because they played Gonzaga, there, there's, there just is a edge that you get when you've lost to a team that when you think you're as good as them. And you know, I think we saw that in the Pac-12 tournament with Arizona and and Oregon. And I remember when Oregon, you know, blew out Arizona. Before that game, I remember Dana Altman sort of, you know. He was really good at saying, "Oh, I don't know if we're going to beat this Arizona team. They just they just blew out UCLA, and you know we're the underdog in this game." And <laughs> he kind of played that up really well. And then Arizona now comes into the championship game. Oh, we're the underdog because, of course, they killed us, you know, in <laughs> Eugene. And it's a it, it, it's a great, great. I mean, I I used to love I was love playing teams the second time around if they had beaten because you just had that mental edge. Hey, we're going to get them this time. And so I, I, I think I, I think Arizona will have that if they get that far and play Gonzaga for sure. I think there'll be a little bit of that. All right. So last region to talk about, and you know, we'll we'll wrap this up. Uh, is the East region regional finals will be played in in New York? Um, you've got Villanova is the one seed there. Duke is the two seed. So right away, you're talking about the the best overall team. Uh, by the committee's rankings in Villanova, and then probably the team that's playing the best of any team in the country, Duke, who went through the ACC tournament beating Louisville, North Carolina, and Notre Dame consecutively, which is about as impressive a three-game stretch we've seen in, in recent memory. Um, but there's still some other good teams in in this uh, in this region. I particularly like Virginia. I love London Prentice. I think he's one of my favorite point guard to watch in the country just because Virginia, everyone talks about how they play great defense, but they control the pace of play and you have no chance against them. They, they're going to dictate what the pace is. Now, sometimes that costs them because they're going to keep scoring down. And so they end up in a lot of close games that they probably shouldn't even end up on talent wise. They're better than the other team, but that's how Tony Bennett wants it. He, he wants to put you in a situation where he controls the pace, they control the game, and they believe with Parentis and you know guys like Ty Jerome and and uh, uh, Kyle Guy that offensively they'll have enough weapons to actually outscore you when it comes down to it. And they're playing a team in UNC Wilmington that gets up and down the floor and scores a ton but doesn't play any defense. So I think Virginia will control that pace. Those are the three teams that I'm noting. Is there anyone else in the East that you feel like could contend for a spot in in the final four. Well, I th- I think Duke has the most talent. I agree with you. I think they're going to go all the way through that bracket and get to uh get to Glendale. Um, you know, I just think Baylor because of their size and they play a funky zone that that's always really a I mean, you talk about preparing, you know, for teams. I've always thought that's one of the things uh, Syracuse was so good at if they could, you know, kind of get rolling a little bit, you play the play them in the second round. How do you prepare for that zone? You know, in right. one day, Baylor kind of has that same thing. I would be Matt would about be that point. I've I've always yeah. been curious about this because we hear this all the time, and people ask me all the time about this. <laughs> and it, it's it seems like such a, a simple question, but I always get this: Hey, Syracuse plays a two-three zone. We know that. Um, right. So do sixth graders. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right. so you're taught this at such a young right. age. How come? Yeah. It's so difficult uh, against a Syracuse zone or, you know, Oregon's matchup zone defense that they play. You know, why are zone defenses 
so tricky for teams at the college level? Well, I, I think number one, I, I would say that most people play man. So when you see a zone, it's it's usually the the uh, the minority of the games you know that you see that. So you don't see it as often. Um, I think that's true. Uh, the the other reason is when it's back to my quote, it's the Lorenzo Romar, like easy to scout, hard to guard. You can see their zone on tape, but when you get into the game and you see their length, you know, you see NBA talent and they're, because they play it every day and they've played it for, I don't know how many years Jim Beheim's been there. They're so good at their coverages. You know, they're so good at recognizing when teams are going to try to beat them to the short corner or beat them to the middle and anticipating, you know, those plays. And it's, it, it, it's, they, they've just, you know, honed it down to such a, a good defense that if you get in there, and I talked about, you know, NCAA sometimes is not easy to play and you miss, you know, two or three shots. Now all of a sudden they get confidence in the zone and it, it, it makes it even harder. You know, the, the, I remember playing when I was a sophomore, we played John, um, John Chaney's team, Temple. Mm-hmm. And you know they were known for one of the greatest zones ever, and I remember getting into the game and thinking I almost thought the same thing you did. Okay, everyone keeps talking about this zone. Let's see how good it is. Big deal. We you know we play a zone. We I go against a zone every day, and I, you know I think we can beat this zone. And one of the things they did, which I thought was kind of the genius of his zone, was they guarded the ball so hard that. Like when you when you had the ball, you felt like it was UNLV's man to man. You know, like it was right. incredible pressure. The you know, amoeba like defense. I remember, yeah, the amoeba defense, but it was his own. And they and and I had never really felt that nuance, you know, in a zone because, like you said, in sixth grade, you just go down and point guard dribbles down with with zero, you know, defense <laughs> on him and just stands at the top and locks his knees and just starts swinging it around. I mean, that's like you know, the greatest, you know, hey, I'm going to kick back here for a couple minutes while we try to get a <laughs> yes. good shot. They were they were so opposite. And even though you kind of saw that on tape, I, I, I'd never felt like that in a game. And I'm like, damn, this is a good zone. I'm having a hard time even making passes out of this. And so I got it, you know, like it, it, it dawned on me, like how good that zone was and why they were known for it. And so I never played against Syracuse well, I did play against them as a as a freshman, and I didn't play, but our team did, and it was up in the Alaska shootout. So I never was in the game and felt and felt you know why there's why their zone was so good that year. We had so many good shooters, you know Kerr and Elliott and Craig McMillan. They we just shot them out of the zone, and um, so we got up on them early, and it and so we got confidence against the zone. And that's part of the problem when you, when you play a zone, you've got to hit shots at some point. And so if you get off to a slow start, then it really starts building, you know, kind of, the, right. you know, it, it gets infectious the other way. Like, oh man, we got to hit a shot. You know, we, we, you can't just keep, you know, coming down here, missing long jumpers. And then that leads obviously to, to offense for those guys. So, um, yeah. yeah one, of my favorite things, one of my favorite things about watching about when teams play zones is that the offensive team then feels like they're forced to take those shots because all of a sudden they are they're open threes <laughs> and so now right. you you wouldn't have taken it normally if you were playing a man a man to man offense but now all of a sudden you're playing against this zone it's oh I have an open wing 3 I'm going to take it and it's like yeah you're not the guy that should be shooting that anyway right. and all of a sudden you see some <laughs> team just get it. I mean even if teams do it just for a couple of minutes you can see how it just totally 
changes the the entire course of the game. The the one Pac-12 team that's playing, you know, in the first four in Dayton is uh, USC. They're going up against Providence. Hopefully, I can get this podcast published and out before uh, the results of that game. But USC, if they were to win that game, would face SMU, who they beat earlier in the year. What kind of potential run at their best could USC go on in this tournament? Well, they they got to defend, and they just have not defended at a high high enough level to really get past really good teams. I mean, what we've seen with them is they've pretty much beaten everybody they should beat, and and lost to most of if not not all of them, but most of the teams they should lose to, except UCLA. And so, yeah, you, they beat UCLA and SMU. I mean, those were the two games, yeah. and, and, and so I, I mean that concerns me. Because if you're trying to beat teams that are better than you, you don't really have a track record of doing it. Although, again, the UCLA game's in their back pocket. That's something if I'm, you know, infield, and I'm sure he will, it's like, hey, we can beat anybody. But if they defend, the thing you like about them is they can make shots. And if they got everybody on the same page for a game or two, you know, if McLaughlin and, and Benny Boatwright and Metu and, and um, you know, Elijah Stewart, they got guys that can make shots all over the court. And so all they have to do is is get hot, you know, for a game or two, and they could be in the second weekend easily. I mean, it it, it, would, it would just be a matter of saying, hey, you know, they went 12 for 25 from three, and I could see them advancing really quickly. And, you know, I think the experience last year probably helped them. They lost a heartbreaker. So I feel like they're going to have a little bit of, you know, kind of a, an edge to them. Um, although Providence is probably arguably playing a lot better than them. They've been kind of on a hot streak. And and uh, so that'll be a tough game. It's how weird was that that they have the rematch <laughs> from it's, last year? <laughs> it's it's pretty remarkable that uh, you know both those potential rematches. So um, and I don't think it's it's coincidental. All the also as the committee's no, putting this no. whole thing Every, together. Yeah, everybody says that. I I don't believe any of that. <laughs> exactly. All, the, all uh, these, you know, the Patinos playing each other. Sean Miller playing Chris Mack. A couple. I mean, it's just like I I don't know. It, they they seem very coincidental to me. The, the, yeah, at, at, at the same time, it, I'm sure no matter how you were to shake these teams up, you know, you could make the argument that, that the reverse is true, that you're always going to come up with weird quirks uh, just because everyone's sort of connected in this basketball world that we that we live in. Yeah. So, so Matt, I'll just close this thing out by saying, you know, who do you feel like right now is – Going to the Final Four, and who do you feel is has the best chance of winning the national championship? So I'm going to go out on a little bit of a this. Well, this isn't a limb, but I'm going to take Duke um, to to be there for the East. I'm going to take Arizona from the West. That's two two seeds. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and take UCLA um, to get past that Carolina bracket. And I just, it, it, I don't know, like I said, they have, they have the highest ceiling and the lowest floor, so they could also lose earlier than, than anyone thinks. But I just think Ball's been so special this year. You talked about all their shooters. I, I just feel like they're, I actually like the fact they lost the other day. I, thought, I think it got them a little bit sort of regrouped and, 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 and like where they're at. Um, I'm going to take a total flyer on that other one and, and take um, – is that the one I think Purdue's in? I'll take Purdue yeah. as a total flyer to get to the Final Four. 
I mean, they're not a flyer, what they're a four seed, but that that would be my lowest seed to to, to get in. That's that, you know, it's funny. That's that's who I have in the Midwest as well. I think Purdue's going to go. I've been saying that. I've been high on them. I can't get away from from that point <laughs> just because they didn't win the uh, Big Ten championship. And then I think in the South for me, uh, you know, I think it's. I think it's North Carolina. Again, I, I think UCLA, I've been saying all year, I think UCLA is going to walk through the opening weekend just because of their style of play and how difficult it's going to be to match up against. But then to try to go through a Kentucky team that they've already faced before, I think Kentucky's getting by Wichita State, and uh, North Carolina I don't think is going to be tested at all. And they, again, check all the boxes for you know what it takes to go far in the NCAA tournament, and I can't avoid that. So even if it ends up at UCLA or Kentucky, I, I really like North Carolina's chances. Although I will say, Kentucky does check a lot of the boxes too. De'Aaron Fox, great point guard. He's incredibly quick, and we know he can cause Lonzo Ball some problems. Malik Monk is yeah, an explosive that. guard. And and the thing I've noticed about Kentucky is that they've they really seem to have found this rhythm. They sort of found themselves. You know, we said all year. We talked about how young they were, but I don't think we really accepted that fact because they've had so much success in recent years with young teams that it took them a while to figure out their identity. And their identity is that even though Monk and and Fox are so explosive, they play best when they're actually patient because then in isolation situations, Fox is so quick in the half court that they don't need to push the pace every single time. They don't need to get fast break buckets. Because just right. having the opportunity to set up their offense and create one-on-one mismatches, those guys will have advantages all day. So, and then uh, Bam Adebayo is a, is a guy that that could score for them down low. So I don't know. Maybe I'm convincing myself that that Kentucky no, can go I, in, in the can, south. But they uh, defend and, so well. They play so hard and defend so well. I mean, that's the other thing about them that if they play UCLA, that to me is the great contrast because they just defend the heck out of people. Yeah, they'll get they'll get after you. And then, you know, on the other side, I look at the East and I, I feel like Duke right now, having Frank Jackson play the point opens up things. Kennard, Grayson Allen, Tatum, they have shooters, they got rim protection, they have a go to scorer now in Tatum. I think his ascension, I think puts him in the conversation as a number one pick. I keep saying that. I think he'll be there at the end with Ball and, and Fultz. But I think that puts them on another level and he's been spectacular and, and makes them a national championship contender. I think it's difficult to to repeat, but Villanova's success over the last four years has just been remarkable. Uh, I still think Duke ends up finding a way to beat them. And, um, and I don't even know if they'll end up playing them. Maybe Virginia knocks them off. I think Virginia is really good, but I don't think they're I, I final got four. Knocking them off. I got Virginia knocking them off. And they played each other earlier this year. Virginia had the game won against Villanova, and, and Villanova came back and, and beat them. I mean, it was a nail-biter. And, and so Virginia certainly can pl- play with Villanova and knows that, and I think they want another shot at them. And Virginia could be a team I really believe could go to the Final Four. I still feel like Duke's firepower is crazy right now. But I think Virginia could be there if people want somewhat of a dark horse. And then finally in the West... I like Notre Dame to to knock off Gonzaga. I think the pressure is something you keep talking about, and I think it's going to play a role uh, when Notre Dame faces Gonzaga. And remember, Notre Dame, it wasn't that long ago when they took Kentucky to the wire, uh, you know, when Kentucky had their undefeated season in the NCAA tournament, and everyone thought that it was Notre Dame that was going to get them, and they didn't, but uh, it was awfully close. 
I think Arizona's playing as good as anyone right now. It's going to and and who's going to match up with Lowry Markin in the tournament is another question, offensively and defensively. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. and, and that one-two punch of Markin and Trier, that's 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 as good as almost anyone in the country. Right there's now. no doubt. There's no doubt. So Matt, last before I let you go, who's your national champion? Um, I, I you know what? I'm going to go Homer. I'm going to go Arizona. <laughs> I got to here here's why. I can hear laughing. Kevin O'Neill right now. Kevin Kevin O'Neill what would just he say? literally And now he picked up the phone and threw it down <laughs> on the ground and it smashed. And then he started yelling Wilbur the Wildcat and then he just went to the Sprint store and got a new phone. That's what he did. He he didn't he did not finish out this podcast. By the way, he didn't even listen to this podcast. So well, I'm not that's about true that. too. <laughs> but I'll tell no, him. He, he, I'll tell him. Yeah, tell tell him that Wilbur the Wildcat. I'm I'm calling it. It's 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 uh it's been 20 years exactly since Arizona won a national title, 1997. You know, I feel like Sean Miller has been has had some bad luck. You know, he, I thought he had. Um, he had a chance to get there with his second team, Derek Williams. They had two shots to win it at the buzzer. Both of them, you know, one of them was like about a quarter of an inch from going in. Um, those didn't go. He played Wisconsin when I thought he had his best team. They had a bad call at the end of the game. I thought Nick Johnson makes a bucket and they win at the buzzer. And Wisconsin played incredible. And then they get in Wisconsin again the next year. And <laughs> Wisconsin hits 10 threes in the second half. They were on fire. They, you know, it was it was almost like Oregon this year against Arizona. So I almost feel like he's had some bad luck, had a, had a horrible seed last year. I think the luck changes for him and he, and he, he pops not only his first final four, but his, his, his natty. So there you have it. Wow. And it'd be pretty remarkable if you do get that final four, Arizona Duke rematch from 2001. So one, I know there'd be a lot of Arizona fans excited to to get a chance to play against Duke and the history that you guys have going up against each yeah. other quite a few times through the years when when you're both highly ranked. So I, I'm Duke for me is the team. If they're there, I just think Duke's offensive weapons are just remarkable. And and I don't think we've seen the true Duke team. Tatum and Giles hurt at the beginning of the year. You had all the Grayson Allen distractions. You know, you had Coach K leaving the team for a stretch. And now all the pieces are there. The guys are starting to gel. And like I said, Tatum has just elevated his game to another level. And if people haven't seen him over the last couple of weeks, again, I can't say this enough, but yeah. he's going to be in the conversation as a, as a number one pick. Matt, I cannot thank you enough for your time. As, as always, it's always great talking to you, but there's nothing better than talking hoops with you. If people want to talk yep. to Matt Muehlbach, Reach out to him on Twitter. All the, the Bear Down folks can do that. Uh, that's, that's at Matt Muehlbach, M-U-E-H-L-E-B-A-C-H. Probably the most misspelled name in, in college basketball history. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you, you'd have to argue. But, uh, Matt, you're always a great guest, and uh, I'd love to have you back uh, very, very soon. Had a great time. It's going to be an awesome tournament. Thanks for having me on. It was uh, it was fun, and I'm sure that I probably made one correct pick out of the last 45 minutes. So um, <laughs> you know how that goes. We're we're all going to be looking at our brackets in two weeks. Like what the heck just happened? So no, it was if a blast, that, Adam. Hey, I always have a good time, and and I can guarantee you, if it's if it's that bad, I'll just delete this podcast altogether. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> have a good one. All right, my man. Take care. Matt Muehlbach, I cannot thank him enough. Find him on Twitter. 
really interesting guy to follow on on Twitter and uh, has some great insight for not just Arizona fans, but college basketball fans in general. He's also a terrific broadcaster on the Pac-12 network. I say that he reminds me so much of his good buddy, Steve Kerr. That should do it for this podcast. Uh, good luck with your brackets. And uh, you can find me, Adam Stanko, on Twitter at NaismithLive. You can find this podcast on Twitter at GreatPointPod. Subscribe wherever podcasts are found. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.